want to begin a, a series that will take us through to the, uh, towards the end of October uh, on Galatians. And uh, if you're on Facebook, um, you might have seen or you will see in the next uh, 24 hours or so um, something we put in Beyond Sunday and actually on the, on the church website itself, which was um, some resources. We're, we're going to be looking at this letter uh, to the Galatians. It's a short letter, and uh, on the Facebook page, on Beyond Sunday, what we put together was a little, uh, there's an eight-minute film that gives you an overview. It's one of those things we've used before, the Bible Project, they're brilliant. But if you want to get a sort of like an overview of what's going on in that letter, then that's really worth, um, that's really worth uh, having a look at. And then there were, I, I put another sort of link to two books that I read alongside uh, thinking about Galatians and reading stuff around Galatians. And one was called I Thought There'd Be Cake, which is a great title for a book, isn't it? Uh, written by a woman called Catherine Welby uh, Roberts, who is the daughter of the Archbishop of Canterbury, as it so happens. She's a woman who's in her mid to late 20s. Uh, she's a, a mum now, um, but suffers from chronic fatigue, um, uh, uh, one of those... Uh, aspects of that condition. And she writes very honestly about what it's like to be someone under the age of 30 trying to come to terms with life and all the complexities of life around. So not knowing what it felt like to be an under 30 woman, I thought that would be a good book to read. And it's actually a fantastic book to give some idea of some of the pressures that we all face. So that was a, actually quite a helpful book for me as I was thinking about Galatians. And it'll make sense in a minute. And the other book I read was um, a book by John Tyson called um, something else. Um, I can't remember the title, but it's, it's there on Beyond Sunday. Uh, when you've got a Kindle, you don't bother with what the book is called anymore, do you? You just you never see the, the cover. And, um, but John Tyson is a New York pastor, and he was talking about, it's about perfectionism and about the, the curse of perfectionism that lurks within us and how it drives us in an unhealthy way. And I read those two books alongside each other as I was reading Galatians, and I found them really helpful. And I hope that as we look at Galatians, certainly those books and others will become sort of feeding in. When we read the New Testament... Um, you know as well as I do that if you've ever come across the, the Bible at all, you know you've got those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are telling the story of Jesus. And they're trying to explain who Jesus was and what he did and why he did it and the difference that he made. And then you have the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church and their experience of this Jesus who's now alive because of the resurrection and what happens in as, as church and mission and and how do people hear about this gospel and how does it spread? And then what happens is from, the, from Romans then all the way through to the end of the New Testament, you have letters, literally letters. Letters that sometimes are longer than, and sometimes shorter. Sometimes one of those letters is like one page, but some of them are really quite long and involved. But all of them have in common this, that Paul who has started many of these churches, is trying to help people work out how do you live as a follower of Jesus in your context. 
It's really encouraging when you read these epistles because what you realize is that none of these churches were perfect. Um, when I was uh, a number of years ago, I used to teach in a, in a Bible college, and, um, and, and some of the ch- students, particularly in the first year, would, would come and go, oh, we don't, I think I've said this to you before, they'd come and say, we don't need this theology bit. And you'd go, well, why are you paying us? Um, but they'd say, we don't need theology, we just need to get back to the early church. And you'd kind of go, which one would you like to join? Because none of them were perfect. They all had wrinkles. They all, some of them thought Jesus had come again and they'd missed it. Some of them thought you could sleep with whoever you liked. Some of them thought it was okay to just factionalize and, and get off onto their own little groupings. There was no perfect church. And I find that really encouraging. But what Paul wanted to do was to say to all these people, what does it mean to live as a Christian in your culture? What does it mean to take Jesus really seriously? What does it mean to work out what it means to swim against the tide? What's it mean to follow Jesus? And Galatians is one of them. And when we read these letters, what we're doing is two things. One thing, and some of you know this, so it's just like a very obvious reminder. We're trying to work out, well, what was he saying at the time? What did he actually mean? But the second thing is we're kind of listening for an echo And the echo is this. If Paul were writing to us, what would he say to us? Because our particular problems are not the problems that they had. But in the echoes of what he said to them and their problems, we begin to hear the ripples of what Paul would write to you. Because in some ways we're not that different, even though in many ways our culture is so very different. And behind all of that... As Christians, we believe is the Spirit of God who inspires Paul to write. And so when we're beginning to ask ourselves, what would Paul write to us? One of the things that we're beginning to ask is, what would God want to say to us? So when we together begin to read this book of Galatians, what we're trying to ask is, Lord, what do you need to remind me of? What do you need to say? This is where Galatia is, just so you know. Because for some people, if you don't know where it is, it feels like, well, it could be on the moon. This is Turkey, of course. This is sort of like the areas, if you've been on Turkey on holidays, this is sort of probably the areas you've been on down by the sea. That's Cappadocia, that area I've talked about before, where they do those balloon flights over those brilliant rock formation. And then just there, next, is Galatia. What, what's going on there? Well, it's a, can you just push me forward? I don't, it's not picking it up. Oh, can you go back? <laughs> Let's see. There we go. Okay. Brilliant. It's Galatia is a Roman colony. These Christians were new Christians. They'd not been Christians very long. They belonged to house churches. Now, again, many of you will know this, but just let me remind you that these groups of Christians met in homes. They didn't have buildings like this at that time. So they they met in homes. And what that meant is they probably were no more than 40 of them at a time. There weren't big churches of hundreds or thousands. There were churches of 40. And they would include, it's kind of like, in, in a sense, if you imagine 40 people in this little row here, you probably looked very similar. So some of you would be older. Some of you would be younger. Some of you would be... Uh, working for other people, we would call it as a, an affirm. Some of you would have your own business. 
is kind of like a cross-section. Paul had led them all to faith, and the letter was written between 46 and 61 AD. Now, the only interesting thing about that is, not the only thing, but one of the interesting things is, that's about 15 years after Jesus had died and rose from the dead. If you want to put it into a context, it's like someone writing about something that happened in 2004. Now, how many of you think that 2004 was literally yesterday? (laughs) Now, clearly for you it's not, but for us it's like 2004. That's so yesterday. In other words, it feels very close, and it was very close to the event. But it's certainly by 61, because then we know he was imprisoned, and shortly after he died. So that's who it was written to. And uh, Ewan, if you can just help me. That's it. So what was happening? Have you been on holiday to the Mediterranean and seen this? Have any of you seen that? Uh, so you see them on lockets, or you see them everywhere, actually, in little gift shops. It's, it's an evil eye. I don't quite know. I, I guess it's there to stop the evil eye. I don't know what the evil eye is, but it's to stop it. Um, and, and you can buy them. They're little trinkets that are all over. What they actually think is that this, that little design of the evil eye, goes back as far as we're going to read about. It's kind of like uh, one of the artifacts that were there because people believed that things happened to you either because of luck or because someone had cursed you or someone had blessed you. In other words, you weren't in control. The gods were out there. You couldn't trust the gods. People could put a a sort of a curse upon you. And people would do things that could harm you. And so you needed to find something to protect you. And these people who became Christians, that was their background. Where they had all these sort of, um, in a sense, what we might want to call superstitions. You know when people go, how are things? And they go, oh, they're doing really well, touch wood. What's that about? I don't know where that comes from. I mean, you know, two minutes on Wikipedia would tell me, but I don't know where it comes from. But it's kind of an interesting thing. Even in our sophisticated world, we don't walk under ladders, possibly. It's a good idea, yeah. For other rational reasons, but some people have irrational reasons for not walking under ladders. Some people, there's all sorts of stuff. I don't need to go into them. You know what they are. But this idea of... Can you control what's happening to you, or is it just luck? That was the background. Now, Paul had gone to those people, and he'd preached Jesus. And what he was saying is, Jesus, who died and rose again, breaks those powers. You don't need to be under that power anymore. And that was really good news, because suddenly, for the first time, it's like the gods are not angry with you. There's nothing against you. You don't need to worry. Life's not going to collapse on you. You're held. Can you imagine? Do you know how good that sounds? Can you imagine if you've spent all of your life thinking, I've got to get some little token to protect me, and someone goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're safe. Suddenly, you begin to live like that, and it's kind of like, wow. But then something else happened. Some people came along and said, well, yes. That's true up to a point. But what you really need is something else because you're not quite good enough 
as you are. And these people came along and they introduced these people who come from this background. What you've got to do if you really want to be acceptable is you've got to keep the law, the law that as a Jewish Christian we've had. So that means you can't eat certain things. That means you can't do certain things on a certain day. And that means if you're a bloke, you've got to get circumcised, which strikes me as the worst of all (laughs) news. And these people came and they said, yeah, you have received Jesus, but you're not, you're not, quite, as, you're not quite as serious as we are. And if you really wanted God to hear you, you do that. Well, can you understand how tempted you'd be to go, well, maybe if that's what it takes... And Paul writes to them, and Paul says, you're being led astray. But at the heart of all that was going on was this. Someone had told them, you're not good enough as you are. And that was at the heart of it. You're not good enough. You're not acceptable. You need to be more than you are. And Paul begins a letter. And because it's only a short reading, I put it on the screen. This is how he begins the letter. Can you push me? Thank you. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul just names three things that has happened to them. Because what Paul wants to begin his letter by reminding them is, you're not a Christian because of what you've done. Now that seems like what it it feels like, that doesn't it? It feels like you've been in a camp meeting or you've been in a church service or something's (laughs) happened and you've made a decision. And it feels like, well, you, you made it. But behind the scenes, God was at work. It's kind of like what Abby's going to do in in theater. All right. Who makes the theatre? Well, most of us who've never thought about technical theatre ever before, to be honest, Abby, we think you go to the theatre and it's the actors. It's all about the actors. But actually, behind the scenes, the thing that makes the play is what happens at certain times? When do the changes happen? What's the light and what's the mood? Where's the music come in? How does it all fit? What's it look like? It's not a perfect analogy, but it's not a bad analogy. We think we made the choice, but actually, when you're, once you made the choice, you realize, actually, I think there was moments where God was at work in my life before that. I, I don't know if you were with us last week, but we began the service last week by asking people for memories of, do you remember a time when God has really come through for you? And one of the comments that uh, Leslie said was, she said, when I came to know Jesus... I I had a feeling that was a familiar feeling, and I recognized I'd had it all my life, but I hadn't been able to put a name to it. It was a familiar feeling, and I had it again. 
And you look at Leslie and you, you say to her, but Leslie, you made the choice. Yes, I did. I did make the choice to follow Jesus. But there was something that reminded me God's at work. And so what Paul is doing with the Galatians is saying, there's some things that have happened behind the scenes, as it were. Paul's been sent to them. Who by, not a committee, a Paul has been sent to them by Jesus and God the Father. Some of you will know how that feels. Do you know when you meet someone and they speak into your life and it changes everything? It's a conversation or you've been at a meeting or you've been in a service or something's happened and you've heard something and it's changed everything. How did that happen? Not by a committee, not by someone working it out, but actually someone was sent to you and they spoke and everything changed. The churches have been brought together and they've got a new loyalty, a new relationship, a new way of being. And Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. It's such a basic thing about Christianity, but it's so important to keep going back to your everything that we enjoy about being a Christian happened and it happened without us. God so loved the world that he sent his son that none would perish. So when he's... Did you do that? That's okay. Do you think there's more we need to say about this? <laughs> I don't mind how we, how we work this. <laughs> you just keep moving me when you think it's time. Neil, I think they're bored. Move on, move on, move on. <laughs> it's okay, thank you. One of the phrases um, that is there is that verse, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And that's kind of like one of those phrases that sometimes Christians flinch at, our present evil age, because it gives you the impression that everything's bad around here. Take to the hills, get to your ghettos, Reject everything. Does it mean that? I don't think so. Most people in power, when Paul was writing this letter, would not have said this was an evil age. They would have said, this is a brilliant age. We've got roads. We've got peace. We've got finance. We've got economy. We're ruling the world. Unless you were a slave. Or unless you were a war victim. Or unless you were in poverty or unless you were a child that wasn't wanted. And then it didn't feel so great. Jesus came to challenge that. Maybe this week it's not hard to see, is it, that in some ways, you know, you look around and we have never had it so good. But in other ways you look around and you go, it's not hard to imagine this week we don't look like a nation that's very much at peace with itself. We're not convinced we know what we're doing about Europe. I think it's fair to say. We're not sure what is happening or what should happen with Parliament and who should lead us. And we're not sure whether climate change will do for us in the end anyway. We don't look like a people who go, this is brilliant. We look like a people who go, we're not sure. And the question is, does Jesus say anything about that? But it's also true for us, for me. And it's as much in that space that I want to reflect on Galatians with us. Not 
forgetting the big picture, but actually going, do you know what? There's something in me and there's something perhaps in you too that this letter really speaks to. And I want to say it's about this again. That phrase, you're not good enough. Some people feel that constantly they've been told they're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you're not popular enough. And because of the way our society develops, it's not hard to actually come under that wherever you sit on the age spectrum, that somehow you're just not enough. The fear that we are not enough becomes a weight around our necks. And the problem is when people point out our failures, when people point out the things that we struggle with, there's normally a grain of truth in it enough for you to recognize it, that it brings you down in the end. And that's the problem. You feel anxious and defensive and depressed, and we want to scream, I'm special, but it's not enough. And so I think one of the things that we tend to do is we overcompensate. And I, I was trying to think about how we overcompensate for this idea of you're not enough. And I think there's four things at least. And I think some of these things will circle around in Galatians because I think they come back time and time again. We crave affirmation. We live by comparison. We impose perfectionism. And we refuse to accept our faults. We all need affirmation. There's no one in this room that doesn't need it, that doesn't need someone to go alongside and say, do you know what? I'm glad you're you. You're making, you, you, just being who you are makes a difference. Everybody needs that sort of affirmation. And nobody goes away going, oh, I wish they hadn't told me that. But the problem comes when it becomes a craving that can't be satisfied. You know that thing, and this will affect some of you more than others, but you know that thing when you put up a picture on Facebook or a post on Facebook and you're, you can get really down hard if only you get six likes and four of them are your mum. It's kind of like, really? I thought it was better than that. I, and, and, and I don't know how it works for you, but sometimes you put pictures up of yourself. I'm suspecting if you don't get a lot of people going, you look amazing, that makes a bad day potentially a lot worse. In other words, the very thing we need, we're crying out for, can become a craving that can't be satisfied. For if last time you got 20 likes and you don't get 20 likes next time, your popularity slipped. We crave affirmation. Am I doing okay? We live by comparison with other people. How are others doing? And is my life any good compared to them? We impose perfection. Some of you do that by trying to impose perfectionism on other people. They never match up to yourself or your expectations. And some of you do it with yourselves. I'm not asking you to nod or put your hand up or give any indication. You can just continue to look as stony-faced as you do right now. <laughs> but how many of you live with the curse of perfection on yourself? You never match up. 
to the person you think you should be. And consequently, it's, it's, it's easy to then refuse to ever accept that you're wrong. That's the other thing. I have a confession to make. I've been invited to an event at the Bolton Arena in October. It's a select group. Not everybody gets invited. Um, and this is not my first invitation to one of these events. Uh, they last between 8 a.m. and 12 a.m., and there were multiple times I could have chosen because these happen all the time. And they said, we'd love you to come along and find about speed and awareness. <laughs> now, I know I'm the only person in the room that's ever been to one of those events. <laughs> this is not the first time I've been invited to one of these events. I'm not going to tell them when I go, actually, yes, I know how this goes, because I remember it four years ago, because I fear that that may feel that their life is in vain and these courses don't work. <laughs> but what I do remember, having been on the first one, was the bloke who was sitting next to me, who when the, I don't know what they called them, teacher, was going round the room, and it's like, say, so why are you here? And we all had to own up. The bloke next to me said, well, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and the teacher was having none of it. He said, so why are you here then if it wasn't your fault? And he said, well, I was only doing 35 in a 30. And the teacher said, so you were breaking the law then? And he said, no, it was only 35. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but it was in 30. And he, then the bloke said, but other people were going faster than me. So why aren't they here? And the teacher said, don't worry about them. You broke the law. You were caught. You're supposed to be here. Then the bloke said, the sign was hidden. And the bloke said, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> Do any of you practice those same techniques? <laughs> Mark shouts, yes, Rachel does. Um, yeah, we do, don't we? Why? Well, because sometimes it's just so hard to go, I was wrong. And sometimes it's hard to say I was just wrong because I've got this sort of image of myself that I'd like to protect. And somehow, sometimes it's really hard to admit I was wrong because I don't want you to think badly of me. What would it take to believe that it's okay to be wrong? What would it take to believe that I'm broken, that I'm in need of grace, and that I need to be forgiven? Externally, what I need are people I can trust who won't throw me under the bus when I own up. Internally, I need to believe that I'm loved, forgiven, cherished, that I'm beloved by God. I can't actually just have one of those things in truth. I need both. And so do you. For otherwise, what we do is we become fragile and brittle 
and we can't admit that we're in need of grace. When Paul writes to the Galatians, he wrote to people who who believed they weren't good enough. And somebody had come and said, you're right, you're not good enough. And so we'll give you rules to live by. And Paul said, no, if you do that, you will stop following Jesus. You'll have religion. And it'll shore up your insecurity. But you'll leave Jesus behind What you need is grace. And what qualifies you for God's grace is only your need. As Nadia Bowles Weber, who's an American Lutheran pastor who I don't agree with on everything she says, nor how she says everything, but I think she's hit the nail here. End of list. It's grace. You see, the world's response is when you go, am I okay? People around you, people who don't know about the love of God or the forgiveness of Jesus will go, you're okay, everyone's okay. But the problem is that that doesn't answer your deepest cry, for you know you're not. Our response without Jesus can be, I know I'm not okay, I'm struggling here, I don't know how to do it. And you can sink very quickly and very deep. The Christian faith's answer is this grace. Only grace allows you to be honest and accepted. Only grace allows you to be honest and accepted. Everything else has to pretend. Everything else has to cover over. Only grace says, I have, I, I have got so much wrong, but I'm still beloved. Only grace Only grace deals with the perfectionism. Only grace deals with the defenses. Only grace deals with the craving for affirmation. Only grace heals. That's what Jesus is about. So finally, when Paul writes to them, he wants them to know what's God done. And the three things Very basic things are these. God sent someone to you. For some of you, it'll be your family. For other people, it'll be people outside of this church. For other people, it'll be people within this church. But God sent someone to you to say the word of grace. The message of forgiveness. The message of life. God raised Jesus from the dead. For that's how this grace operates. That his forgiveness on that cross. Now if he's just a dead Messiah, then what good is that? But if that Messiah is raised from the dead, he is the one who can make that real for you. God raised Jesus from the dead. And God has rescued us. So when Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, to a people who didn't think they were good enough, those echoes come down the centuries and they speak to my own heart because I know how that feels. What has God done for you? He has made a way through this in order that you might know life.
May you know it to the full. Do you want to just come and play some stuff for us without us singing necessarily too soon? Is that okay? Just while they're playing, I wonder if we just leave that up for a moment. Every time every, anybody preaches up here, we all pray the same kind of prayer that will have said something that's been helpful. But we're also very different, and it's difficult to know the extent to which that will be true. So only you can name that and own that. So while we're listening to them play, I'm going to pray that the Spirit will just come and rest on you. And what that means is that the breath of God, the wind of God, just comes and takes some of this stuff. And the stuff that really matters, it find a home in your own heart. And the stuff that doesn't will just go. But the stuff that matters will find a place. You might want to think about the conversations you've been party to this week. You might want to think about the things you've thought about this week and the things that have been going through your mind and asking, God, is there, a, is there a way that this sort of intersects? Is there a way that this meets that? You might simply want to say, God, what do you want to remind me of and why? And then we'll leave some space just for you to be still, really, and to reflect on that. Holy Spirit, come and rest on as we pray. Thank you that you did send people into our lives. Thank you that you did raise Jesus from the dead. Thank you that you have rescued us. Lord, may our, may our roots be solid with that. Thank you that we don't have to pretend or look for grace in places that we'll never find it. Lord, thank you that it's sitting there before us. Lord, this morning we want to trust Jesus and the work of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit and do a work in us, we pray. From the youngest to the oldest, from the most mature Christian to those that are just starting out, Lord, would you come and lead us forward and firmer into this life where you call us beloved. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.